Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who is with Armada Corporate as a managing partner, he also works with some of the other, uh, so several nonprofits like the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International and uh, the Forging Industry Association as their top economist. So we're going to be talking about the Purchasing Managers Index and the uh, general economy. So, Lou, I think if we have a good report from Chris, we won't know what to do because we've had two good reports out of ISM. I don't know. The I know. money we pay them, we probably shouldn't even be having this show, considering all the numbers are so good. <laughs> exactly. Did did someone say pay? How you doing, Chris? Was, was was I supposed to be paid? You know, this this is where Lou can say I'm going to double your salary, and it's like, hey. <laughs> we'll yeah, we, we, we could do that. So, yeah. So here here's the skinny on the credit managers index. And it's pretty encouraging. Just a couple of reminders for longtime listeners. You've heard this spiel before. But the CMI is somewhat predictive. And the reason that it is predictive is that credit managers tend to think into the future. They are notoriously unconcerned with how your business is doing today because they're the ones that offered you credit and they gave you terms. They gave you 60, 90, 120, 180-day terms. So their concern is, what are you going to look like in 60, 90, 120, 180 days? That's two or three or four months with which you can mess up your business completely. Um, The credit manager's mantra has always been, it's not a sale until we're paid. So they tend to look down the road. When you look at CMI data, then you sort of have to consider that what they're looking at is, September, October, November, they're, they're fully aware that things aren't that great right now, but they're looking ahead. They're trying to decide who's going to get trade credit. For the last three months, we have seen those numbers come up from what were record lows. I mean, back in March and April, we were looking at numbers that were historically low uh, in the 20s and 30s. And honestly, they had never been that low. We began to see recovery in May. Things got back up at least into the 40s. And then in June, it got up into the 50s and even 60s and stayed there in July, particularly for what we call the favorable factors. The favorables are things that make credit managers happy, things like dollar collections and applications for credit and amount of credit extended and, most importantly, sales. Those all jumped to levels we have not seen in a year, not only prior to COVID-19, but I mean all of 2019. So we've seen tremendous increase in sales numbers. We've seen increase in the number of applications, the number of, or the amount of credit extended, and most importantly, dollar collections. So the people who are owing them money are paying. So it is pretty optimistic stuff. I mean, it really points towards 
what economists had been saying earlier in the year when it was like, well, we're going to get recovery in Q3 or Q4, and then we got this really bad stretch of data, and we began to waffle. Well, the credit managers are still thinking, yeah, I think it's going to get better in Q3 and Q4. We are certainly expecting it because we're offering people terms based on what we think we're going to see towards the end of the year. So that's a long and and haranguing way of putting the fact that it was good news this month. Okay, so let me put the negative spin on this. Uh, Don't you always? I I try my best. (laughs) So what's the story with all the bankruptcies, retail stores, Lord & Taylor, uh, who's the other giant who's also filed Yesterday, um, I mean, Macy's is on the brink. Uh, J.C. Well, is on the brink. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was another one that went out yesterday. Lord and Taylor also went out. Uh, what's the story on that, Chris? Well, what's been happening, of course, is these guys have been circling the drain now for two or three years. And <laughs> one of the things that we really have to be careful of when we look at the impact of COVID and all this stuff is separating the problems that existed before this pandemic and the ones that really have been caused by the pandemic. Unless COVID-19 is a new code word for Amazon.com, what killed Lord and Taylor and Macy's and Penny's and all the rest of them is online shopping. And the problem is that all of those department stores had exactly the same go-to-market strategy as Amazon. Their whole approach was come to us for a variety. So you went to a big box store, you went to a department store, you went to a mall because you had much variety. You could see all the, who has more variety than Amazon? And it's right in front of you. So now you're, you're, yeah, nobody. So the stores that are beginning to succeed now are the smaller specialty stores that are offering actual service because occasionally you want to go someplace and say, I don't know what I want. I, you know, particularly when it's things like, I remember going to a hardware store, one of the big box things, and there's not a soul in that place that can help me. Then I go to this old school hardware store down the block and I have this part in my hand and I said, I don't know what this does, but it's broken. And the guy looks at me and says, well, well, you're holding it upside down for one. And, yep, it sure is hell broken, and I got three of them in the back. How many do you need? And, oh, by the way, this is how you install it. You know, Skippy back at the big box store isn't going to know that. And so if I'm just getting something, I'm going to buy it from the online version. But if I need help, it's going to be the good old Strasser hardware where you can't find anything unless somebody helps you um, because the boxes are 700 years old. Um, But, you know, that's the trend we're actually starting to go back to. Well, that's an interesting move to Main Street. Exactly. You know, so it's, I think we have seen the acceleration of some of these bankruptcy issues, but when you look at the credit manager data, bankruptcies have begun to diminish. We were seeing a little bit of an increase, and then all of a sudden they reversed. And there's fewer of them showing up in areas like manufacturing or construction, um, even transportation. They're predominantly 
still hanging in there as far as a problem with retail, with hospitality, travel-oriented businesses, service businesses. Of the 170,000 businesses that have gone out since COVID-19, over 90% of them have been small. Yeah, I imagine the small businesses are going to really struggle. I know that uh, a lot of the restaurants are going to struggle. Uh, unfortunately, some of these people have put their homes up to secure the lease so they right. can open up those businesses, and that's going to create yep, another nasty ripple. It is. It is. And it's and it's really one of the things that, that people often don't recognize is that this country is overwhelmingly a small business country, and we tend to think of small business as you state, restaurants and small shops and stuff. But 98% of manufacturers are classified as small business. They have under 500 employees. They have revenues under $100 million. Some of them have revenues much lower than that. 75% of manufacturers in the U.S. have 20 employees or less. So when you're talking about the small business sector, you are also talking about manufacturing, construction, overwhelmingly in construction because of the remodeling industry. It's a small business industry. Um, Almost every community, the majority of the home builders, small business. The majority of the remodelers, small business. The majority of the plumbers and the electricians and all of that. So it's not just coffee shops and, and hair salons. It's really kind of the industrial heart of the U.S. is also very small. You know, it was funny yesterday, sort of, uh, being here in New Jersey, we had a uh, four-hour hurricane that was moving at 40 miles an hour with 65-mile-an-hour winds. And I was working from home, and if I tell you that I got six faxes from Roof repair companies. <laughs> <laughs> they must be booming today. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and and see, this, this was a gesture on the part of the people of Florida, knowing that you can't travel to Florida now, so they're just sending you Florida. So, you know, <laughs> if, if you it just, that was very generous of them, I thought. You know, it's like, you, you can't be here to enjoy our hurricane. Sorry because of the travel ban, but here. We'll share. It must be like the Chinese sending us seeds. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and you know, it, it's it's been fascinating to me as people have been doing these in-depth investigations, trying to figure out if the Chinese are sending us triffids or something. And it's like, no, it's just it's cabbage. Um, <laughs> it's like <laughs> that in itself is is like an insult. Really, you're sending us cabbage. I mean, really. <laughs> so. Well, Chris, being that you're such a wise old guy, uh, who is the one who comes up with these names for hurricanes? Because they really, <laughs> they really topped it this time. Nobody oh, knows know. what to call it. Exactly. You know, this apparently is is something that's done by the Hurricane Center, and a number of years ago, they decided to diversify the names so they would have more ethnic names and and more names because they used to just be you know good old-fashioned english names it's almost as bad as a number of years ago when they had the volcano in iceland 
and and it was like some name like Yishkeberg or Hingerar, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> the exploding mountain in Iceland. Uh, can we just move on, please? It's like I'm, I long for the days where it's Hurricane Fred. You know, just be simple. Yeah, Sandy, that was a good. Yeah. But yeah. this one, I'm still trying to figure out how to pronounce it. No, the, in one of the weather teams over here, all four of the weather broadcasters, none of them pronounce it the same way. <laughs> so. I bet not. This is so a very Chris, serious issue. Yeah, that's right. Chris, I'm just wondering from your perspective, of what do you think the headwinds are? And I've asked some of our people today that we've interviewed what the headwinds are, uh, other than COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, really, that's kind of the big dog that that everyone has to wait for some kind of resolution. More specifically to the economy, it's the consumer's reaction to the pandemic and to the shutdown. We saw that the consumer was more than willing to go back to old patterns as soon as that lockdown was lifted. So we saw retail sales jump up by 8% in June, 7% in July. Consumer spending was up 6% in July. So given a chance, the consumer will come back. The question is, when will they be allowed to come back for real? Because the lockdown was reimposed in some states. It was stalled in others. You've got a certain amount of trepidation on the part of the consumer for some things, but not as much as people thought. There was a feeling that people would not go back to the restaurants, but they have. The restaurants are under a lot more restrictions than they used to be, so they're still struggling to make the money they used to, but at least they have customers. The next big question is, will people go back to events? Will they go back to sporting events? Will they go to concerts? Will they go to parades? Will they go to street fairs? All these things that used to drive a lot of a local economy and have continued to be shut down. The other headwind, I think, is international because we do an awful lot of international business. It's 15 to 16% of our GDP, and the demand overseas has been down. They have their own issues with COVID. You also have a lot more protectionism than we once had because every country in the world is now trying to protect its domestic economy, and that means less demand for other countries' exports. So particularly in the manufacturing sector, we sell a lot of very expensive, high-level manufacturing. And if these countries don't recover, they don't have the demand for that that we need them to have. So we're watching Europe very closely. We're watching Asia closely. We're watching Latin America to a certain degree. But really, it's the Europeans and the developed Asian nations that we really need to have progress right along with us. Well, I usually ask you, Chris, about Brazil. I'm not going to ask you about Brazil today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just stick to Uruguay and call it done. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I'm sure uh, Uruguay have... is doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Br- Brazil's got a lot of a lot of problems. Lot yes, of problems. Brazil has a lot of problems. The epicenter for the COVID-19 now is in Latin America. So it's 
Right. It's Brazil, it's Argentina, it's Chile, it's all the others, and and they're not they're not doing all that well. However, you do have this shift in supply chain that promises a better future for some of these countries because as companies look to diversify their supply chain, they're looking for alternatives and countries that are still on the list include Mexico, Colombia, um, to a lesser extent Peru. Brazil is is perpetually the country of the future. Um, at the moment, it still has an economy that could be sustained. It still has talented people. It just has a complete idiot for a leader, and they've periodically gone through that. One hopes that Brazil does what it usually does. You know, they seem to experiment with idiots and then go, well, God, that was stupid. Let's bring somebody in who knows what they're doing. And and then they do that for a while, and it's like, well, it's time for another idiot. Let's do that. Um, so <laughs> if, if, I don't I don't know why that pattern seems to exist, but it's been that way for about a hundred years. <laughs> so. uh, great, John. So as you have been talking with folks around the country, what's the general outlook, Chris? I mean, are people pretty hopeful that? You know, third quarter is going to turn around. Uh, we hear all kinds of positive talk about vaccines and therapeutics to deal with COVID uh, in the shortest time in world history to get to a vaccine. So yeah, I'm guessing I, I, that things are looking pretty good. Well, it's it's right now I'd say the dominant feeling is confusion. Um, the information that is disseminated can be highly contradictory from one day to the next. We get good information saying we think we have a treatment and then no, we don't. We're really close to a vaccine, but close means 2027. Um, and we're like, okay, come on, you know, what, what are we really expecting? Economically, it has been kind of jerky as well because any place where the emphasis was on reopening, you have seen good response. And unfortunately, those have also been places that have seen more outbreaks. So we're being confronted with the issue that we started with, which is it's going to be a trade-off. We cannot eliminate a virus. They never go away. They are now permanently part of the human experience. How much is too much? How many hospitalizations are too many? How many fatalities are too many? We've learned to adjust to all kinds of diseases. I mean, currently, COVID-19 is the 17th deadliest scourge the U.S. or the world deals with in a given year. So there are 16 other diseases and maladies that kill more people than COVID. We've learned to adjust to those to one degree or another. Some of them are the kind of things that people catch. Others are like cancer and heart disease we've kind of come to accept a certain number of deaths per year. What will that be with COVID-19? And we're kind of slowly getting to the point of, yeah, we're going to have to do something to get the economy going again. And if that means being tolerant of a certain amount of illness, how much and how tolerant? And that's a question nobody is going to answer definitively because it would just be, you know, talk about making yourself a target. So it's <laughs> uncertainty, I think, is, is the issue of the day. 
Well, they certainly won't bring up that number before the election. Oh, no. I mean, you can even see the importance of the election with the new infrastructure or not the, the, the latest iteration of trying to help people get through all this. Absolutely deadlocked three days ago. I mean, the Senate was not moving. Democrats weren't changing. The Republicans weren't changing. The whole system, the whole stimulus thing was stalled. It was never going to be passed. One day after the primaries are over, well, we're going to have a deal by the end of the week. Okay, that's Friday. Yeah, no problem. It'll probably be Thursday. What the hell happened? Well, what happened is that I was not going to make a decision on this while my opponent in the primary could use it against me. Well, now that the primary is over and I've won, I don't care. I can go on about my business because that part's over. And it's just, it was so blatantly political that that's, again, what drives people nuts. It's kind of like, hi, the economy has collapsed and we're fighting a scourge. Can we put politics aside for, I don't know, an hour or two? Um, and the answer is, of course not. <laughs> like, don't, you, don't you understand priorities, young man? And it's like, okay, fine. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's a mess. So closure. So I'm 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 still writing. Yeah, and I'm still writing you two in as president and vice president. Just be warned. Um, So you know. (laughs) Well, all right. Make me VP. I don't want to be president anymore. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) I mean, I was gonna let you two work that out amongst yourself. I just I just nah. think there's the team, you know. You know, it's <laughs> Lewin no, Kim. Tim can have twenty twenty yeah, yeah Tim can you have bet. Twenty twenty. Yep. I have a campaign slogan which I'm stealing. Uh if nominated I will not run. If elected I will not serve. Well there, <laughs> there is a president there is a president that has already had that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, and if it was my slogan, it would be, "If I'm on the ballot, I will have no idea what's going on." Um, <laughs> so. Yes, you can yeah, run like the uh, idiot in Brazil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, indeed, indeed. Well, you know, it's it's. <laughs> these are <clears throat> when when you realize that you desperately miss Pat Paulson. Um, you know things are <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Chris, are there any pockets of the country you often talk about uh, as we've gone through this? Well, the economy's good or the economy's bad, but it depends on what sector you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than the restaurant sector and the small business getting beaten up, uh, are there any others that are positive or negative that we want to mention before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, if you look at things like construction, for example, construction has managed to wade through a lot of this. They've had to shift. I mean, you're not seeing the demand for office buildings for all kinds of reasons related to people working at home. Meanwhile, the shift in supply chains have made warehousing and logistics of paramount importance. So you're seeing a lot of growth in that sector. Uh, Transportation in general has been hit in some areas, particularly ocean cargo, but then again, the parcel services, FedEx and UPS are like, yeah, well, nobody goes to the store anymore. We just deliver things 37 times a day. 
So <laughs> you're seeing growth there. The medical sector, if it is con- in some way connected to what we're dealing with with COVID-19, has been expanding. You are seeing different kinds of manufacturing growth as well. Um, there's been more interest in, for example, RVs. Uh, people now are of the opinion I may never stay in a hotel again. I may never fly again. I don't. I don't trust any of those things for my vacation. So I'm just going to put everybody in an RV and drive somewhere. Uh, the sales are way up right now. Um, you're seeing dramatic shifts toward home entertainment. Uh, the remodelers are mentioning that the three biggest project categories now for them have been installing an actual office in your home so that you can lock the door and keep the kids out. Number two is building apartments for your elderly parents who are moving back home because neither of you want them in a senior center anymore. And then thirdly, it's entertainment centers at home, you know, home theaters. I've got a friend that built swimming pools. Normally he has maybe three or four projects in reserve. He has a waiting list of 110 projects. <laughs> and he indicated, he was talking to her. He says, now Kansas City is at least a city that has summer for a period of time. He was talking to a colleague in Duluth that has a waiting list of 30. Duluth has a summer that lasts a week. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the right. extent of your pool time. And they have a waiting list of over 30. Yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin, and, and people used to say, what's Wisconsin like? I said, we have two seasons, winter and the 4th of July. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I can only hope that the pools they build in Duluth can be frozen and turned into hockey rinks. Um, so oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. <laughs> these, sound well, like Canadian, these sound like Canadian summers. They last yeah, about exactly. two weeks. I think Thanksgiving exactly. in Canada is in September. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. Summer is nice in Canada, but sometimes it comes on a Tuesday and you miss it. You miss it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Chris, thanks for, for joining us and bringing a little humor into our day as we as we wait for the recovery and we wait for COVID-19 to do whatever the heck it's going to do. We appreciate yep. speaking with you. You're, you're so welcome, and hopefully next time we're not talking about COVID-21 or some such horrible thing. But, um, <laughs> oh, amen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, and congratulations right. on your election. You, you, <laughs> you, you take care. And you stay safe, stay healthy. And we've been talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who's a managing partner with Armada Corporate Intelligence, and joins us each month to give the credit manager's index report as well as some general conversation and banter about the economy, which is always fun with Chris. Uh, always enjoy that. Move. I think that Chris should do a stand-up, a stand-up comic role about the economy. Lots of material. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for all of those of you out there who like podcasts, Look at jacketmediaco.com where we have Manufacturing Talk Radio, the land podcast about women in manufacturing, girls about women in unusual roles in industry. Where's Willie with William Miller traveling the country and interviewing manufacturers on the production floor? 
Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, who talks about manufacturing and the economy, and Amy Nicholas, who talks about the work-life balance and full-time with Amy. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.